Well, good morning, Christ Fellowship. This is uh, the 10th and, Lord willing, the final time that we'll be recording a sermon uh, without you being present. Uh, it's hard to believe that we've done this now 10 times over the course of 10 weeks uh, as we've all lived through this very unusual experience of this global pandemic together. And yet we are hopeful that next Sunday, Lord willing, uh, we'd be able to gather together. Uh, please pray for the church this week about that. Please pray for the elders this week about that as we see God's wisdom on how to do that well, and particularly how to do that in a way that is just filled with love for one another. Uh, as we'll be coming from uh, different places, different kind of ways of thinking about what we're experiencing and about what's wise in terms of gathering back together, let's pray that God would give us his wisdom, and let's pray that God would give us much grace and patience and love for one another uh, as we begin to meet together again. God's able to do that. Well, as we turn to God's word this morning, uh, I want to read the passage that we're going to study, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 to 2, and then I will lead us in a prayer, and then we'll dive into God's word together. Take your copy of God's word and turn it with me to Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Let's pray. Our God, we praise you that even though you are so high and lifted up and glorious, Lord, even though the cherubim and the seraphim do not cease to cry, holy, 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 uh, you give us a command like the one we just read in your word to be imitators of you. And God, we cannot do that apart from your spirit. We praise you for this high privilege of being your sons and daughters. We praise you for this great responsibility to be like you. And we ask, God, as we look at your word together this morning, that you would do that work. Lord, we pray that you would shape us, fashion our hearts, so that we love what you love and hate what you hate, uh, so that we think like you and speak like you and act like you. Father, we want to be accurate reflections of our Heavenly Father, and we pray that you would do that good work in us, even now as we study your word together. So God, we're praying, send your Holy Spirit, help us, because apart from you, nothing will happen. Be glorified in this time, be lifted high in this time, and use this word to shape us into the image of Christ, who is truly glorious and truly loving. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, as a church, we enjoyed a really special experience this week. We had the very happy privilege of welcoming little Hannah Laverne Clayton into this world. Uh, Jonathan and Sarah welcomed Hannah on Monday morning. Now, one of the things that people like to do is to try to figure out who the little baby looks more like, uh, more like the mother, more like the father. And I could be wrong, but from the picture I saw, I think Hannah is a daddy's girl. I think she favors her dad, but... Time will tell, and we'll see when we're able to gather back together. But of course, we expect this, right? We expect that a, a child is going to favor his or her parents in some way. There's a shared you know, genetics there that causes that physically. And of course, over time, uh, as the child observes the mannerisms and behavior of the father and mother, he or she begin to take on those same mannerisms and habits. God has really designed it so that children take after their parents, that's true in this physical world, but it's also true in the spiritual world. So think about John chapter 8. Think about what 
the Lord Jesus said to the Pharisees when they were attacking him. Uh, he told them that they were just like their spiritual father, Satan, who was a, a murderer and a liar from the beginning. And that's something we need to understand. The men and women of this world behave the way they do, think the way they do, act the way they do, because they are following along the course of this world, and ultimately they are following their spiritual father, Satan. But the message of this passage for us this morning of the Bible is that God is our father. And so it's good and right for us to, to look like him. It's good and right for us to imitate him. We should follow him. We should think like God. We should act like God. We should speak like God. Uh, our heart should be you know, transformed, conformed to the truth of God's word. Uh, so that, again, we love what he loves and we hate what he hates. And from those affections, from the things that we love and hate, well, all that flows out of what we do. Uh, the way we think, the way we speak, the way we act, it all flows out of what we truly believe and what we truly love. And we want to be like God in all of those ways. Now, this isn't optional for us. This is what our passage for study this morning teaches us. It's not an option for us to be like God. Indeed, we're commanded in this passage this morning to imitate God, to be imitators of God. And we're going to learn that imitating God uh, in a special way looks like walking in love living a, a lifestyle that's patterned after the love of Christ. Well, we're continuing our study in the book of Ephesians this morning. If you've been with us in recent weeks, we've been studying chapter 4. And in chapter 4, uh, we've seen, you know, especially in the past few weeks, the way Paul has been giving us this general principle, this great principle of the Christian life, that we are to put off the old self, who we used to be before Christ, and we are now to put on the new self, which is to say who we are in Christ. And all of this is just a reminder of the great principle of the New Testament. Really, the, the great ethic of the New Testament is that we are to live like who we are. So God doesn't want us to work hard and try to be something we're not. No, he wants us to be who he has made us to be, who he has created us to be in Christ. And it is our, uh, re, it's our identity in Christ, who we are in Christ, that should shape everything about the way that we live. Well, last week we looked at verses 25 to 32 of chapter 4, and there Paul gave his readers five concrete examples of what it looks like to put off and to put on. We learned that Christians are to replace lying with truth, and that we're supposed to replace sinful anger with reconciliation, and we're supposed, supposed to replace stealing with generosity, and we're supposed to replace corrupting talk with wholesome speech and conflict with love. Now, the Christian that's doing that is, uh, is a believer who is walking in holiness, really who is like Jesus. You know, in verses 1 to 16 of chapter 4, Paul taught us that Christians were to walk in unity. And then from verses 17 to 32 of chapter 4, Paul taught us that we are to walk in holiness. But now as we look at really kind of over the next two weeks, the first six verses of chapter 5, we see that Paul is going to teach us that we must walk in love. Well, this morning, we're going to kind of look at the positive aspect of that as we think together about what it means to imitate God and what it means to walk in love like Christ, to live life with a, with a Christ-like love that just kind of flows out of us. And next week, we're going to look at verses 3 to 6, Lord willing, and we're going to study the warning that Paul gives about the world's counterfeit for love. The world's counterfeit for love is sinful lust. 
And so we're going to warn our hearts away from that. Well, if you have your copy of God's Word, please do turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5 and look with me at verses 1 and 2. We're going to study this passage by looking at the two uh, basic, simple, and yet, yet very profound commands that Paul gives us here in this passage. Two commands from verses 1 to 2. We're going to see that we need to first imitate God in verse 1. And then we're going to see that we need to walk in love as we study verse 2. Let's look at that first command together then. Imitate God. Verse 1 says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. You know, that word therefore again, we're seeing it over and over as Paul's just kind of unpacking his argument here in the book of Ephesians. It's a word that connects us with what's come before. It connects us most especially with verse 32 which is where Paul has talked to us about God's forgiveness of our sins, uh, that God forgave us for our sins in Christ. And, of course, it's not just forgiveness. In verse 32, you see God's kindness, God's tenderheartedness, that is his compassion, and his forgiveness is displayed so clearly. And so now in verse 1, looking at that example, Paul then says, and really he gives us this astonishing command, be imitators of God. Be imitators of God. It's what we were created for. It's what this life is all about. William Barclay said that this command is the highest standard in the world. Martin Lloyd-Jones spoke of it as the ultimate ideal. I think that's truth. A very, very significant command. The word imitators there comes from the Greek word, which gives us the English word mimic. And we know what it means to mimic something. It's to act like that thing. It's to it's to repeat the behaviors, the mannerisms, the actions, the speech of another person. And that's what Christians are to do with God. We are to be imitators of God, being like him in every possible way. Now, there are ways that we can't be like God. Of course, the Bible has revealed God to be a being who is in a class by himself. There are attributes or characteristics of God that we cannot be like. Uh, theologians call those the incommunicable attributes of God. So God alone possesses the power of self-existence. Uh, the word for that is his aseity. He alone possesses power of self-existence. God alone is eternal, the one who dwells outside of, indeed created time. God alone is omnipotent, all-powerful. He is alone omniscient, all-knowing. Uh, he is alone omnipresent, you know, present in his fullness in every place. Now, we can't be like God in any of these ways. And yet, because we are made in the image of God and because we possess the Holy Spirit within us, there are ways that we can be like God. Yeah, we can be like God in the things that we love and the things that we hate. Yeah, we can be like God in terms of the things that we say and do and think. We can, by His grace, become more and more like Him. We can, by His grace, become faithful imitators of Him. And notice there's a motivation for us to be faithful imitators of God. Look at the end of verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Now, we talked at the beginning of this sermon about the fact that, you know, children often look like their parents. My daughter Kate, for instance, I think, looks quite a bit like me. That's natural. It's kind of normal. It's a good thing for it to be that way. And Paul is saying that God's children, just take that picture, God's children should look like him. You know, when other people look at us, they should be reminded of God, our Father. 
What an amazing thing it is. Just think about it. To be a beloved child of God. That the Most High, the Sovereign of all the universe, looks down on us as sons and daughters, and He's pleased. Indeed, He loves, and He loves fiercely. And so, being like God, imitating God, it is the highest privilege, the highest responsibility that we have as the children of God. Now, looking at verse 1, I want us to briefly make three observations and then ask a question that you see kind of flowing out of this verse. And the first observation, we've been talking about it, but I want to highlight it more, is that Christians are to bear the family image. I think that's a, a helpful picture. You know, you remember stories of, of you know, parents sending their children out into the world, reminding them who they were, reminding them what family they were a part of, and encouraging them to do well and to live well so that they would honor the family that they are a part of. And there's something about that that is good and right because we are the family of God. And the way that we live will either honor God or it will dishonor Him. And indeed, our goal is to reflect Him, to represent Him well. Now, the biblical word for this is godliness. Godliness, it's a good word. It means that there are things about us that are like God, that remind others of who God is. Now, we know we don't often act like God in the way that we think and speak and act. We know that we still wrestle with sin, with wrong thinking, with wrong actions, with hurtful words. But because God is our Father, it's right for us to pursue greater conformity to Him. It's right for us to want to be more and more godly. When others look at us, we want them to be reminded of what God is like. So, you know, just think about, think about the rays of the sun. What do the rays of the sun do? You see the rays of the sun, and you're almost just drawn up to look at the sun itself, the source of those rays. Well, in the same way, when people think of us, we want their thoughts to be drawn up, as it were, to God, who is the source of our godliness, so that God would be glorified us in us in that way. Well, there's a second observation. Imitating God is a lifelong pursuit. And you see that in the fact that this command in the original language, be imitators of God, this command is in the present tense. And the idea is that it's an ongoing, continual action. In other words, in this life, we'll never get to the end of it. We'll never fully arrive, and yet we're to press on and on and on and grow increasingly in the likeness of God. Little by little, we will be changed. Just as an acorn grows into a mighty oak, so by God's grace, we will grow little by little, painfully at times, slowly, yes, but truly until we are oaks of righteousness, which Isaiah 61 tells us is God's purpose for his people. It's a third observation. God's love for us as his children should motivate us to imitate him. Did you see that precious word in verse 1? It's not just as, as God's children, it's as God's beloved children. Now, a lot of people grew up in homes where their fathers did not love them well, didn't cherish them the way that he should have, didn't treat them the way he should have. And it can be very difficult, and if that's you, it can be very difficult to kind of think about God as a father without importing some of that baggage into that concept. And yet, and yet when you listen to what the Bible says about God, you see that he is a good father, uh, he's a father who always does what's right for his sons and daughters. And even better, he's a father who loves deeply his sons and daughters. So we are not just the children of God. We are the beloved children of God. And the reality that, that this God 
our Father, the realm that He loves us, really should push us, it should motivate us to love Him and to be like Him. It's wonderful. It's life-giving. And it's so desperately necessary if we're going to live faithfully as followers of Jesus in this world to know that God is not up in heaven looking down upon us in disgust. God doesn't think he got a bum deal. God isn't just kind of holding his hands and looking at us and ashamed of us. It's not like that at all. Why? Because God knows the price he paid for us. Precious price. God knows the work he's doing in us right now by his Holy Spirit. And God knows in ways we don't know and won't grasp until we're there just what he intends to make of us when we stand before him in his presence where 1 John 3 says we will be like him because we will see him as he is. God loves us as his son and daughters and that love should just motivate us to return that love and to obey this good command of being an imitator of him. So here's my question. What does it look like to imitate God? Now, there's literally no end to the things we could say about that. But let's just briefly kind of answer that question very briefly. God is holy, so we should be increasingly holy, which is to say set apart from things that God hates and set apart unto those things that God loves. We should be more like Jesus is the most simple way of thinking about what it means to be holy. God's word is truth. God is a truth-speaking God, and so we should be increasingly a truth-speaking people. We should be meticulously truthful in the way that we speak. But there's a therefore at the first part of verse 1. Look at your copy of God's word. Notice that word therefore. When you see that word, it, it leads us back to what came before, and it helps us to realize that what Paul is talking about most especially in terms of being imitators of God is what he's just taught us in verse 32 of chapter 4, where it says, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Now, last week in the sermon, we noted how, how this kindness, uh, this tender-hearted compassion, this forgiveness, that all of these are expressions of love. And God is love. And he has richly loved us in Christ. And so being an imitator of God means that we should be increasingly loving towards others. We should be increasingly kind. You know, wouldn't it be a glorious thing if Christ Fellowship Church was just characterized by kindness at all times? And we should be increasingly compassionate. Uh, and we should be increasingly uh, forgiving. Let me just say a brief aside here to know that the elders are praying in particular for the unity of our church as we gather back together because we know that Satan is looking for an opportunity to divide our body, and we're praying against that. We want to seek his grace to be unified in how we think and how we act and how we serve one another uh, as we lay down our rights for the good of others, uh, as we come back together in ways that will include us sacrificing for one another. Well, the good news is God can help us do that. And as we do that, as we are kind and compassionate and forgiving, well, we will be imitators of God. By his grace, we'll be obeying this command which is to say, most especially, we'll be loving towards one another. Now, in verse 2, Paul gives us this example of the love of God. And it is an example that sets the pattern for the entire lives of those who follow Jesus. So look at the second command now. Walk in love, in verse 2. And walk in love, 
as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So walk in love, then, is the second command that you see in this passage. The word walk there, it really speaks of a lifestyle, of a pattern, uh, of a continual ongoing way of life is the idea. So the pattern for the Christian life is to be one of love. And that word love there, it's an important word. It's familiar to us, so it's easy for us just to kind of hear it and then not think about it. But it's, it's the word that is used for God's love. It's agape. Uh, it's not the love of sentimentality. It's not the love of friendship. It's not the, it's not the romantic love that you think about. No, instead, agape love is sacrificial love. Sacrificial love that gives itself for the good of others. Uh, I like how Philip Keller, in his book, A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23, I like how he spoke of agape love and kind of helped us to understand, helps us understand what this agape love is. He says, the moment I do something definite, either for God or others, that cost me something, I am expressing love. Love is selfless or self-sacrifice in contradistinction to selfishness. So the kind of love that Paul is talking about here is the kind of love that costs us something definite, that requires us to die to ourselves for the good of others. And that makes sense when you look at the second part of verse 2 and you see how Paul describes this love as the kind of love that Christ demonstrated when he loved us and then gave himself up for us on the cross. On the cross, Jesus willingly did something that cost him something. He laid down his life so that we might be redeemed. That's, that's what love is. Now listen to the way that the Bible speaks about this agape, sacrificial love that Christ demonstrated. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In Galatians 2, chapter 20, excuse me, chapter 2, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And then John 15, verse 13, Jesus' words just before he laid down his life, he says, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Now, brothers and sisters, Christ Fellowship, that's what Jesus did for us, his friends. He laid down his life for us so that we might be saved. The cross is the greatest demonstration of God's love for us. It's the proof of his love. It's the proof that guarantees he will continue to love us all the way to heaven. Well, the last thing I want us to see at the end of verse 2 is that Christ's sacrifice was acceptable worship to God. That's what you see there. That's what Paul says. He says it was a, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Paul's there using kind of the imagery you see in the Old Testament of, of when the people of Israel would offer free will offerings to God. They would often mix the offering in with incense that was sweet smelling. And the, those sacrifices were pleasing to God. And why were the sacrifices of the Old Testament pleasing to God? Well, it's because they pointed forward to a better sacrifice. They pointed forward to a greater sacrifice, the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. Christ's sacrifice, which is the great and final sacrifice, what was uniquely pleasing to God. We're looking at verse 2. I want us to really spend 
you know, kind of the rest of our time together this morning by looking at three truths that you see flow out of this verse. The first truth is that sacrificial love is at the very heart of Christianity, biblical Christianity. It's this unique thing in the world because most of the religions of the world are telling us what we need to do for God. We need to read this particular holy book. We need to pray a particular number of times per day. We need to go to a particular place, a temple or a cathedral or some kind of a church building. We need to give money to the poor. We need to live moral lives. Some religions still teach us that we need to sacrifice animals to some particular deity. And yet when you understand what biblical Christianity is all about, you understand it is about God sacrificing himself for us so that we might be saved. It's about how God gave himself for us so that we might be saved. You see, sacrificial love is at the very heart of Christianity. It's at the very heart of the central message of Christianity, which is the gospel, which is the truth that you and I were created by God to know him, to love him and serve him. But our first parents, Adam and Eve, they rejected God in the Garden of Eden. They disobeyed his command, really. They rejected his love. They thought it would be better for them to live for themselves, to do what they wanted to do. And so they chose their own way, thinking that they were choosing freedom, thinking that they were choosing life, uh, like so many of us still do today, not knowing that they were ultimately choosing death, even though God had warned them of that. So they went their own way. And we sinned in them, and because we come from them, we've all inherited that same nature of rebellion against God. And so from our earliest moments, it felt natural. It felt right for us to kind of choose our own way and do our own thing and kind of craft our lives around ourselves so that we could focus on ourselves and do what we wanted to do. And sometimes that meant that we had to hurt other people who got in our way. And it certainly meant that we had to ignore the true God, even if we substituted some kind of a imaginary God in his place. All that is sin. Sin is rebellion against God. Sin is uh, ultimately warfare against God. It separates us from God. It also brings us under the judgment of God. And that's a problem because God is stronger than we are. And because God is holy and we are not holy, there's no way for us to be good enough for God. There's no sacrifice we can make that will make us right with God. And so, so in and of ourselves, we have no hope. But the good news of Christianity, here's the gospel, is that there is a sacrifice that is able to restore the brokenness between us and God. And God did it. God the Father sent his son into the world. The eternal son of God became a man, Jesus Christ. Jesus lived this life of sacrificial love, always laying down his rights to bless others and serve others. He did what we could not do because of our sinfulness. And then when the time was right, this one who was born to die chose to die freely. He laid down his life on the cross as a sacrifice in the place of all who will ever turn from their sins and trust in him. He bore in himself the wrath of God, the wrath that we deserve because of our sins. He died, but then he rose from the dead. And now there's this glorious good news. And friend, if you will turn from living for yourself and instead trust in Christ and in Christ alone, uh, put all your hope, all your rest in what Jesus has done on the cross well, then Jesus will be your savior. All your sins will be forgiven. All the punishment that your sins deserved, well, well, they fell on Jesus. And this is the way to be saved. This is how you can be reconciled with God by putting your hope in the sacrificial love of Christ on the cross. And we pray that you will do that today. 
We pray that you'll do that even right now as you listen to these words, that you will cry out to God for mercy and you will receive this kind of love in your life. And God will do that. And we pray that you will trust in him this morning. Well, brothers and sisters in Christ fellowship, there's a second truth that we should see in this passage for our lives is those who follow Jesus. Sacrificial love is to characterize the lives of all who follow Christ. This is what our lives are to look like. That's why the command of verse 2 is to walk in love. Paul's saying that the, the love that is to characterize our lives is to be exactly the same kind of love that characterized Christ. That we are to give ourselves in that same way. Well, what does it mean to walk in love? He does not mean that we're supposed to feel kind of uh, soft, emotional feelings of kindness and happiness uh, for everyone that we meet, for everyone that God brings into our lives. That, of course, will not be the case. But that's okay because the kind of love we're talking about is a voluntary sacrificing of oneself for the good of the other. It's the greatest and deepest love because it's not concerned about me and what I can get from you. This kind of love is concerned about what I can give to you by God's grace. So in little ways and in big ways, we are to die to self in order to bless others and to meet their needs and to help them become like Jesus. So think about marriage. Husbands, you have the privilege of, of living this kind of sacrificial life of love in behalf of your wife. And that will look like, you know, uh, taking less time for hobbies and television watching and actually making time to read God's word and pray with your wife. Oh, brothers, why wouldn't we make time to read God's word and pray with our wives when we have been commanded to wash them with the word just like Christ washes the church with the word? He can help us do that. Mothers are to sacrificially love their children by giving of themselves feeding them, washing clothes, teaching them, helping them with homework. All of, all of these tasks are just really calls to love in a self-giving, die-to-self kind of way. Church membership, oh, it's so important. Why? Because we've covenanted, we've committed to a particular body to do what? To love one another in precisely these kind of ways. How can I lay down my rights? How can I sacrifice myself? Not so that you can meet my needs, but so that I can meet your needs. And God has so designed the body that when everyone is loving in this way, well, then all the needs of everyone in the church, they're met. And this kind of sacrificial love should characterize us as we take the gospel to our neighbors and coworkers and lost family members who don't know Christ. Developing real relationships with them, you know, having their names in our phone and calling them and checking up on them and, and really caring for them as men and women made in God's image and looking for ways that we can sacrifice ourselves for their good so that, so that the gospel can just kind of naturally flow. Because if we love them, why wouldn't we want them to know Jesus? Why wouldn't we want them to have the greatest thing, which is Christ? Christ fellowship, the Christian life is cross-shaped. We have to grasp that. It's cross-shaped. It's marked by this continual self-sacrificial love. There's a third truth, more briefly. Our sacrificial acts of love are acceptable worship to God. So look again at the second part of verse 2. Excuse me, the last part of verse 2. There Paul says that Christ's sacrifice was a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Now, that makes sense to us because we think about the sacrifice of Christ. We know the worth of Christ. And so it makes sense that that sacrifice would be acceptable to God. It was perfect. We get that. 
But what we don't often get is that in his grace, God looks at our sacrificial acts of love in the same way, that he views them as acceptable worship. I want to prove that to you. So take your copy of God's word and turn to Ephesians chapter 4. I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 18. And I want you to listen to the way that Paul speaks about a gift that he received from the Philippian believers. Notice what he says there. So he's just received this gift of support to help him as he is doing ministry. He says, I have received full payment and more. I'm well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Do you notice that in speaking of their sacrificial gift of love, he uses precisely the same language? that he uses in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 2. It's the same thing, pleasing to God. And that makes sense. Why? Because as followers of Jesus, all of our sacrificial acts of love, they ultimately flow from Christ himself. Christ himself is the source of all of it. So Christ's sacrifice on the cross is the, is the fountain from which all the streams of our sacrificial service flow. And because it flows from that fount, because it comes from Christ and the grace that he gives us by his spirit, well, it is acceptable to God. It is acceptable worship to God. A glorious thing. So as we conclude this morning, let me give you a word of pastoral exhortation. Uh, as we pray together that God would help us, Lord willing, on the 24th, Lord willing, on the 24th, I'll be able to gather together again. This is going to be a challenging thing because there is still so much unknown about COVID-19 and because we will be coming again from different places in terms of our thinking. We want to gather as wisely and safely as possible. Uh, we want to put every possible safeguard in place that we can uh, in, in order to love well uh, those that gather with us. But as we gather together, let me encourage you to look for ways that you can worship God by sacrificing yourself for the good of others. That may look like volunteering to serve as ushers because you know, we're going to have ushers who are going to be trained to help people through this time of meeting together. Sacrificial love might look like volunteering to clean the facility uh, before and after the service to make sure that we have a, a clean facility to meet in. That would be sacrificial love. Sacrificial love might even look like wearing a mask even though you don't feel like you need a mask because you want other people to be safe and perhaps even more importantly, feel safe as they gather with us for worship. It might look like laying down rights in that way. Sacrificial love will look like, and I think this is so important, thinking the best of others, even when we disagree about what's the best way to begin gathering together again. Remember, Paul in 1 Corinthians 13 says that love hopes all things. And the idea that true love, this agape love, it thinks the best of others. May God help us love sacrificially in these ways. Well, looking at verses 1 to 2 of Ephesians 5, we've seen that the, the highest calling of the believer's life is to be imitators of God. It's what we are to be in this life. It is what we will be for all eternity when we reflect his glory in ways we only dream of doing now. And we've learned most especially that that looks like walking in a Christ-like, self-giving love. So may God press these truths on our heart in this week and help us to serve him in these ways. And let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for these two commands. 
And we know that we can't do them unless you, by your spirit, help us. So help us, God, to be imitators of you and help us to walk in love in this coming week. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.